0: would open your bibles with me to the gospel of mark chapter one and as we do that our core kids are dismissed so if you are a child in this place up to sixth grade and if we could just remain standing for the word the reading of the word if you're able so the gospel of mark chapter 1 we'll beginning and we'll begin reading in verse 29 when you got to say so so and it says now as soon as they came out of the synagogue they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John but Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever And they told him about her at once. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up. And immediately the fever left her, and she served them. At evening, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were demon-possessed. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now in the morning, having risen a long while before daylight, he went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he prayed. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him. When they found him, they said to him, everyone is looking for you. But he said to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also, because for this purpose I have come forth. And he was preaching in in their synagogues throughout all Galilee and casting out demons. Now a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus, moved with compassion, stretched out his hand, and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he strictly warned him and sent him away at once and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go your way, show yourself to the priest, and offer for your cleansing those things which Moses commanded as a testimony to them. However... He went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the matter so that Jesus could no longer openly enter the city, but was outside in deserted places, and they came to him from every direction. And chapter 2 says, And again he entered Capernaum after some days, and it was heard that he was in the house. Immediately many gathered together so that there was no longer room to receive them not even near the door and he preached the word to them then they came to bring came to him bringing a paralytic who was carried by four men and when they could not come near to him because of the crowd they uncovered the roof where he was so when they had broken through they let him they let down the bed on which the paralytic was lying when Jesus saw their faith he said to the paralytic son your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven, or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. Immediately he rose, took up the bed, and went out in the presence of them all, so that all, so that all were amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. Father, we come to you this morning, Lord, thanking you so much for the reminder of your love toward us, thanking you, Lord God, for embracing us with your presence this morning and thanking you for us being able to look into your word today as we see such amazing truth, the miraculous power that you exuded and, and that you manifested when you walked this earth. Lord, as we look upon your word, open our ears, open our eyes, soften our hearts, make us receptive to your word that our faith may grow, Lord God, and that our obedience would follow suit, Lord. May you be glorified in these next few moments in the preaching and hearing of your word. We pray this in Jesus' good name. And everyone said, amen. Amen. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. So if you don't have an outline, just raise your hand and the ushers will get you one. Just keep it up and they'll get it to you um, Important that you have the outlines, you can follow along in the intro. You can take some notes. There's questions there for you to answer, and so you'll be able to answer those questions, and you'll be able to, you know, think introspectively. And hopefully, you'll look look through um, the scriptures that we're going over together um, this morning. But then also, there's the opportunity for you to help someone else grow in their faith, and so you can sit by someone and take them to lunch, you know, and make some appointments with them, so you can help them learn God's word and what you're learning. You can share with them, and that will help them grow in their faith. And let me say it like this. If you'll take it upon yourself to teach someone else, you will also grow more in your faith. Are you here? It's very important that you realize that me as a teacher of God's Word, as a preacher of God's Word, I get the double benefit of being able to study and dig into the Scriptures and then preach the Scriptures to you and share them, you know, and that that to me helps me to grow in my faith and the application, and so you'll be able to grow that way as well. Also, for those of you that are following along in our Bible reading challenge, today is day 246, and we are in the book of Jeremiah, chapter 51 and 52, the last two um, chapters there, and then Lamentations, a book that Jeremiah wrote also in chapters one and two. So that's where we are today. I hope that you're following along in some um, type of Bible reading, Bible reading plan. And if not, this is a perfect time for you to jump in. There's never It's never too late for you to do that, uh, for, to, for you to be able to get into the scriptures and learn what God's word says. So four chapters a day, and we'll be able to finish the word, the, the Bible in the, by the end of this year. And so if you look at your outline here, we're gonna be talking today about identity impact. And we're talking about Jesus, obviously. And, and what I want you to realize is that we live in a day in which many within our culture would have us believe that the church has lost its significance or its relevance. And I would contend that we can never do either, yet we can lose focus and get off mission. Are you here? There's something that you need to realize is that in our culture today, if you have conversations with people, you may find that people will say, well, I really don't need church. You know, why why do I need to go to church? You know, you ever had that conversation? Anybody ever had that conversation with someone, you know? I don't need to go to church, I believe in God, you know, I'm spiritual, I pray, I read the Bible, and so on and so forth, and you gotta wonder, okay, well, if you're reading the Bible, then what do you do with the scriptures that talk about the church? Do you just ignore those? Because, I mean, it's pointless to just read the Bible and not be like, well, hello, there's a lot of references in here that talk about us being a body and us encouraging one another and us being together and, you know, so on and so forth. I mean, there's even scriptures in there that tell us in the book of Hebrews chapter 10 not to forsake the gathering together of the brethren as is the custom of some, but that we're to strengthen those those feeble arms and hands and, you know, we're we're supposed to encourage one another all the more as we see the day coming. And so we realize that there's things in the scripture that show us the relevance of the church. But here's the thing that we can do is we can lose focus and we can get off mission, which will cause us not to make the contribution in the culture that we need to make. Are you here, right? I mean, this is truth. Like we we do that. And, and, And the other thing that happens is the reason why people have this idea that they don't need church or that they don't need to come to church is because they look at church as a building and not as a people. See, for us, we have to make sure the people that, that we realize and that we understand that we are the church. The people of God come to a building. We gather together to worship Jesus for sure. We go to places, you know, there's Bible studies that go on, you know, throughout the week. On Saturday morning, our men, you know, some of our men get together and they meet at different places and they study God's word and they talk about Scripture. And so there's places where the body of Christ, where the church is gathering. But we cannot be insignificant because we have the most significant thing ever, and that is Jesus and God's Word. Hello. We are relevant because the Word of God is always relevant, so we just need to stay on mission. So how do we do this? Well, if you look at the second paragraph here, if we are to impact the culture like Jesus did, we must live out of our identity. If we're going to impact the culture the way Jesus did, and we're going to look at some things here, but... We have to live out of our identity. And we have to realize that we have creative identity and we have redemptive identity there. And the first thing is our creative identity. We need to live out of our creative identity. We were we were born, we, we were created in the image of God. We are image bearers, right? That didn't change. We are image bearers. The reason why we are a people that should be pro-life, and this is, and when I say pro-life, I'm not just talking about abortion. I'm talking about pro-life. Like we care about all of life, right? We care about all of life because all of life matters. You know why? Because everybody on the planet, even that embryo, all of them have inherent value because of what? Because we are image bearers. So everyone, no matter their race, no matter their religion, no matter their social status, no matter where they are, they have value because they are image bearers. Every good thing you see in someone is an indication of the image of God upon them. A person who can sing, a person who can play an instrument, a person who is good at business, a person who is good at math, a person who does anything that is good, that is the image of God that is coming through them. People that do good things and they don't know God, they don't serve God, they don't follow God, but there's something in them that makes them want to do good stuff like you can see that it's genuine they're not just trying to get accolades for it that is something that is inherent in them because what? God put it there Creative value. And so we live out of that identity that we all have what? That we all have this identity as image bearers. The imago Dei is inside all of us. And now the fall happens. So what occurs is that we begin to, you know, we're not not living out of that full image. We're not exactly how we're supposed to be. Because of what? Because we're fallen. Because we're sinful. But then there is the other side. That's that redemptive side, right? That redemptive identity that we have. And that is what? That we are beloved children of God that we are loved by God. And so one thing that we do that I try to do here in every sermon, and I I think I probably, I would say 90% of the sermons that I preach are always going to have a clear, gospel presentation i'm going to talk to you in 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 the sermon at some point right now i'm going to do it now but i typically walk through this reality that we are all born into sin and that we are all sinful by nature and that that sin separates us from god and this is a reality that is there and our sin separates us from god and because we are separated now hear me when i say this And I appreciate you bearing with me when I go through this every week, and I hope that you're learning how to present the gospel, because that's the reason why I share it, is because A, I don't ever want us to forget about the most important thing, and that is the gospel, but B, so that way you can know how to share the gospel with someone. What happens is, every person who is born, they are born in a sinful condition, and they make decisions to sin against God, and rebel against God, and what that sin does is it separates them from God, and that separation is not just like, hey, God doesn't care about me or anything no no no. god cares about you it's your rebellious toward him and because of that sin that separates you from him you are on your way to hell because of what because your sin requires some kind of retribution for your actions and the bible teaches that no matter what we do because you know no matter how good we try to be our good behavior can never save us are you here See, that, that consequence of sin, that judgment against sin, which is hell, and an eternity separated from God, we cannot, listen, we can't give enough money for God to say, you know what, I think you gave enough, so I want to bring you to heaven. No. Hey, you know, if you go to church, that's a good enough. You know, that's a good thing. You know, nope. Oh you know, Well, you know, you do a lot of good things. Well, nope, that's not good. Nothing that we do is going to ever appease God. And so the beauty of this, that's the bad news of the gospel. The good news is this, is that Jesus died in our place. He shed his blood in our place, and he died so he could do what? So he could redeem us. That's where we get our redemptive identity from. So he could redeem us, and he could bring us into a relationship with him. And so now we don't depend on our good works. We don't depend on the things that we do. We depend on what Jesus did. And now we walk in a relationship by faith with him. And that's how we come to salvation. That's how we come to know him. We put our faith in Christ. Now here is the thing that happens: is a lot of times you know we kind of just leave it there, and you know I'll say now. Now we are a new creation. Now we have a new identity. Now we have a new nature. And this is what I mean that we have to live out of our identity. We have to understand that no longer does God see me as his enemy. No longer does God see me as a sinner because I am not that anymore in the redemptive sense. We are sinners by nature and we will always battle sin while we are in this earth. But now God sees me as a son. If you're a lady, he sees you as a daughter. He sees us as those whom he loves. Y'all should get excited about that. Right? I mean, that's how he sees us. He sees us as those, if you're his child, if you're not his child, then you're his enemy. But if the beauty of it is, for those of us that have put our faith in Christ, we are deeply beloved by God. He loves us, and he wants us to live out of that identity. And that's the way that we're going to make an impact in the culture is when we are living out of the identity that God has given us. We're living out of this new nature. That's what we're called to do. And so here what we see in the, in the third, um, third paragraph there, in these verses, Jesus demonstrates authority over sickness, over demonic spirits, over sin. All of those things are covered in these verses that we just read here. This authority was reflective of his identity. Understand this, Jesus healed people because he was a healer. He wasn't trying to prove something, he healed people because he was, he's God, right, in the flesh. So he is Jehovah Rapha in the flesh, there is God the healer. Therefore, that's what happened, that's what comes out of him. He is the king who is over all kingdoms and all dominions, and so demonic authority, Jesus is over that because of his identity. And the same thing happens with sin. He is the redeemer, he is the savior, he is the one that came to bring salvation, therefore, what does he do? He offers forgiveness. He shows this. This comes out of his identity. And that's how we as believers, as ambassadors for Christ, we must walk in the authority that is given to us at new birth. We must walk in authority that we, that, that we have as children of God. The Bible says we are seated in heavenly places with Christ in the book of Ephesians. And so it's funny because you're sitting on a seat right here. But really, if you're a child of God, you're seated somewhere else right now. That's awesome. You're in a place of authority. You're above these things in this earth because you have been given a certain, path, a certain dominion with your Savior, Jesus Christ, with him. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing that this exchange that occurs. And so what we realize is that we have to walk in that type of authority as his representatives, as his ambassadors. And so here is the big idea that I have for you today. Believers are to live from their identity, not for their identity. Believers are to live from their identity, not for their identity. All right, I I, I, I think about my son and, and you know children in general. Children are typically, you know, they desire to please their parents. Right? They want to do things to make their parents smile. They want to do things to, you know, to, to make their parents happy, you know. You know, they, they, they desire that. And so with my son, you know, he's very much, you know, whenever he's doing something, he's very good about making sure that he's like, hey, you know, I need your attention right now. And he didn't say it like that, but he'd be like, Daddy, I'm talking. like he'll say that or daddy I did this or he'll come over to you and he'll show you something that he did and he want and what he's looking for is he's looking for affirmation of his of, of who he is right he's looking for affirmation that's what he's looking for he's looking for approval he doesn't realize what he's doing so much but he's looking for approval he's looking for that love but here's what I want you to understand as my son grows I need him to know that even if he doesn't do things perfectly I still love him are you here what, what, what I need my son to know as he grow as he gets older is that even when he doesn't do every single thing that I want him to do the way that he, daddy still loves him you get that and so I'm not, I, I want my son to know that he is never trying to earn something from me, that he already has it from me because that, listen, I love him because he's my son. That's just the way that it is, right? Same thing with my daughter as she grows. She's not, she's not ever going to be perfect. She's amazing, but she's not perfect, right? And, and, she, and, and I hope, I mean, I pray to God, I mean, she's, you know, going to be 16 here pretty soon. If she doesn't know this by now that I've done a terrible job, but I hope that she knows that even when she falls short, daddy loves her. Daddy, you're you're not earning. You know, hey, I might smile a little bit more if you bring me an A. Amen. That doesn't mean. It doesn't mean I love you more. Are you here? That just means that I'm pleased with what you did. See, that's why we live. Our, our vision is to please God. But as children of God, we need to have that same understanding. If you have put your faith in Jesus, you need to live from the place of security of who you are in Christ. You need to live from this, this side of the cross. You need to live from that place that you are loved, that you are cared for, that God, He listen, he loves you. I don't know if it was this service or last service, you know, both services, they get kind of, you know, foggy in my head. But, you know, uh, Minister Eric was saying, you know, it's not that God is mad at us. He's madly in love with us. You know, And so I love that. As his children, he's madly in love with us. He disciplines us because he loves us. He cares for us. He's concerned for us. And so we need to live from that place, not for something. We're not trying to earn something. And so the first thing, when we think about how is it that we live from our identity instead of for our identity, the first thing I'll ask you to repeat is this. this, Say, we must know our God. We must know our God. The first thing that is so important for us, that we must know our God. And so look with me real quick at verse 29 through verse 36. I want, I want to read this, and I want you to see a few things here. First, it says here, it says, now as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, Simon's wife's mother lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. Now pause for a moment because notice what they do. Immediately they come to who? They come to the one who can solve the problem. They come to the one who has the solution. That's what they do. They knew him. They knew who was walking in the door. They knew who had entered the scene, the one who had cast out demons, the one who had healed. The one, they, they knew who was walking in the door, so they came to him with their problem. They came to him with their situation here. It goes on to say, so he came and took her by the hand, lifted her up, and immediately he, the, the fever left her, and she served him. Amen. She served them. She got up immediately. I mean, there was instantaneous healing. I mean, this. I mean, I read all that. I read all this scripture together because this is just such an amazing picture of just the power of God moving through the vessel of God. I mean, it was just just a, a picturesque, you know, reality of Wow, man! Just just imagine being there and just seeing like scene after scene after scene. I mean, you you want. I mean, it, it's an amazing truth that we see here. And so Jesus walks in. She immediately gets up. She's healed. And look at verse thirty. Look, look at verse thirty-two. It says that evening. So so after this happens in the evening of that same day, when the sun had set, they brought to him all who were sick and those who were possessed. Again, where did they bring them? They brought him to Jesus. They brought him to the one that could bring healing, that could bring deliverance. And the whole city, this, I mean, you talk about a move of God, the, not just a few people, not just half the people. The whole city was gathered together at the door. Then he healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he did not allow the demons to speak because they knew him. Now let me pause for a moment because I want you to realize something. Sometimes demons know our God better than we know him. Are you here? This is a sad reality. Sometimes demons know our God better than we know Him. They're not—they're not—you know—they're not clouded by life. They're not confused by circumstances. They see the clear majesty, glory, and power of who God is, and they knew who He was. And so Jesus had to silence them. But for us, God wants us to know Him and know His power and know His ability. And I've said this before. You know, I, I, what God is waiting for? Now, listen to me when I say this. God is waiting for people who read this Bible and believe what it says. Are you here? He's waiting for a church, he's waiting for people that say, wait a second, this is what the Bible says, this is what the Bible says about Jesus, this isn't what the culture says about Jesus, this isn't what some scholars said about Jesus, you know, the other day one of my friends on Facebook, he posted, he said, you know, I was watching this documentary and in the documentary they were saying that, um, you know, that that the, the actual authors, like, you know, the name, the names given to the writers of the Gospels, that they weren't even the ones that wrote the Bible, and I was like, or they, they weren't even the ones that wrote the Gospel, that they had, and then somebody chimed in because, they're so intelligent. And they were like, no, of course not. They had scribes. And I'm like, really? I'm like, look, I said, I said, said, first of all, I said, here's the thing. I I, I said, I don't know if this was a secular documentary, but let me tell you something. I just want you to know something. When you see something on the Discovery Channel, typically it's not trying to glorify Jesus. Are you here? And, and, and I know you think because they have a Christian professor, psychologist that teaches religion, you're, you're confused and you're thinking, well, hey, this guy believes like I believe. No, he doesn't. He teaches a class, he's probably an atheist. I'm just saying, in most of these situations, you gotta get this, okay? In most of these scenarios, these people that they have there talking, they are talking from one perspective and they're not trying to give you the real truth in the full picture because what does the enemy want to do? He wants to discredit the word of God so you doubt it. Are you here? That's what he wants to do. And so when, you, when, you, when we see this, so you know, I commented back and I was like, look, man, I said, I, I'll do some more digging. I said, but I've, I've studied the scriptures and I said, I can tell you what, whenever I read uh, uh, something that is written, I'm like, Luke said pretty clearly, I chose to write these things down. He didn't say I chose to orate these things. Hello. Luke said, and I said, and, you know, you look at the epistles. Well, the apostle Paul, there are some epistles that he clearly says, you know, so-and-so wrote this for me. Why? Because he had some eye issues and, you know, whatever the case was, he couldn't write some of the stuff. But it's clear, this is the person who I was orating to. This is the person who I was communicating with. And so all that confusion, we need to leave that alone. But here's the thing. We must know our God. Look at verse 35. I love this. This this, this is the verse that really drew me in, and I'm going to leave it right here. You guys can look at those other verses that are there. Verse 40, verse 45, chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It's all about what? It's all about knowing Jesus. It's about coming to him with your issues. It's about knowing who is the solution, who is the Savior. It's him. But verse 35 is the one that really drew me in when I was looking at all of this because we're talking about identity and knowing our God. Verse 35 says, now in the morning... Having risen a long while before daylight, he, this is Jesus, went out and departed to a solitary place, and there he did what? He prayed. And so all these things are going on around him. He's casting out demons. He's healing the sick. He's preaching the gospel of the kingdom. He's doing all of this stuff, and what does he do? He rises up early in the morning to do what? To go and seek the face of the Father. He gets up early in the morning to, cry, to come before his Father in heaven, to seek the face of God, to pursue his God. He wasn't trying to do this alone. He wasn't like, well, man, all this thing is happening. I don't need to worry about praying. No, no, no. He was committed to the most essential thing of all. It was seeking the face of God. And here's why this is so important. It is only when we know whose we are that we will know who we are. It is only when we know whose we are that we will know who we are. Jesus wasn't, listen, his identity, and we'll see this in the, next, in the next point, his identity wasn't in the crowds, his identity wasn't in the healings, his identity wasn't in the casting out of demons, his identity wasn't in none of those things, he knew who he was. And he lived out of that. And he pursued, he pursued the Father. If you look at the book of Luke, you don't have to do that now, but I believe it's Luke chapter 5 verse 16 is where it's a reference to this particular, um, this same narrative. And what it says there is that he, that, that he would do this. Like it, the way that it communicates it in Luke is it says that he would go out, that, he would, that that he would seek the Lord, that he would find those times, that he would go away and he would seek God. Why? Because this has to be normative for our lives. If we are going to make the impact that Jesus calls us to, we have to know our God. And listen to me, if you're not spending time with God, you can't know him. Are you here? If you're not spending time with him, and you know, a long time ago, I was, you know, I was a guy that I would say, man, it really doesn't matter when you pray. And I'm going to tell you something, It matters. It matters when you pray. It matter. And Listen, and, I, and I'm not, not going to say that you got to get up at 6 in the morning, 5 in the morning. Listen, some of you got to be at work at 5, and you're like, man, I don't know how I'm going to get up at 3. Listen, I'm not telling you to get up at 3, but what I'm going to tell you is if you got to get up that early, then what I'm going to encourage you to do is you better make sure that the last person you talk to before you go to bed at night is Jesus. And not just like, thank you, Lord, for this day. I'm putting my head on the pillow. It's like I really sought him and prepared my spirit, my soul, my everything for tomorrow. And that way I'm ready to get up at whatever time I get up and run out the house. and I'm ready. To to face whatever I want to, whatever I'm going to face. See when I when, when I thought about this whole thing is that we must guard against devotional destroyers. Are you here? We must guard against devotional destroyers. And what do I mean by that? Listen, I'm not talking about my daily bread as a devotional. That may be part of your devo. But what I'm talking about when I say devotional destroyers, I'm talking about devotional time with Jesus. And there are things that are there that try to steal our time. Like, you know what? You may be a person. And, you know, there was a time in my life when I could, you know, actually get up. I could stay up until, like, midnight, 1 o'clock in the morning. And, look, the clock would go off at 4, and I was up, and I was good to go for the whole day. That was a time. That is not the season of life I'm in now. I realized something happened a couple of years ago, and I thought I could still do that. And what I realized is that when I stay up until midnight and my clock goes off at 5, I'm like, man, can I stay in bed for another hour, glory to God. And even when I get up in that hour, I still feel dead. So here's what I'm saying. What keeps me up at night? What keeps you up at night? What is—is is it the internet? Is it—is it you having to stay up to you know talk you know—is it you stand up watching programs or you know movies or you know whatever whatever it is that is hindering you right that is a destroyer of your devotional time. Look, you need to say, let me shut that thing off. Let me turn that computer down. Let me put my phone in the kitchen. Hello, somebody. Whatever it is that is that is that that is that is taking away from my devo time with the Lord, whatever it is that is hindering me from seeking God, then I need to do it because here's the thing. I know this much. I know the difference between me driving after I've been saturated and smothered in the love of God and me driving trying to get saturated and smothered. Hello, somebody. There's a difference. There's a total difference when someone cuts me off and I just am thinking about the glorious and wondrous time I had with Jesus and me trying to have a glorious, wondrous time with Jesus and someone cuts me off, it's like they walked right in between me and Jesus. Hello, somebody. Right. And so I'm, I'm just telling you for me, I don't know about you. You may be more holy than I am and praise God for that. Pray for me. But what I am saying is that I know the difference between me, you know, having the time with the Lord. And so what am I saying is that we need to be marked. Listen to a couple of things I wrote down here. We need to be marked by grace before we are hammered by conflict. We need to be marked by grace before we are hammered by conflict. Can I tell you something? You and I are going to face conflict daily. And what needs to mark us is not the conflict, it's the grace of God. We need to be marked by the grace so when we walk into the conflict, we know how to act, right? We need to be filled with the power of the Spirit of God before we are drained with opposition. How many of y'all face opposition? Hello? Right, some of you, I mean, a few of us, we face opposition. Like, we need to be filled with something or else we are empty. And if you're empty, guess what? Nothing. There's nothing to be drained. You're just overwhelmed. We need to be centered in the wisdom of God before we are inundated with the foolishness of men. How many of y'all deal with foolish people? I'm not telling you to name them. I'm just saying, right? Like, you know, yes, I do with like on a daily basis, I'm dealing with fools. I mean, you know what the Bible says? Here's what the Bible, let me tell you what the Bible says. In the book of Proverbs, it says this. It says there are two voices that are crying out, the voice of wisdom and the voice of folly, foolishness. And they're crying out like at the street corner. They're crying out at the head of the city. And they're saying, hey, I want you to come this way. So foolishness is saying, hey, I want you to come over here. And then wisdom is saying, I want you to walk this way. And you and I have to make the choice. But here, just think about your day. I want you to think about this for a moment. Think about your day when you walk into conflict, when you walk into opposition, when you walk into foolishness and you are saturated, you are marked, you are filled with the power of God, as opposed to a day that you're not all those things. Think about the difference that you'll have when you walk into life being filled with God's spirit in His presence. It's a, it's a totally different thing. And so the first thing is, we must know God. The second thing is, say this with me: we must know our purpose. We must know our purpose. Look at verse 37 right here. And we're not going to read every single part of this. I was going to read all the way to 45. We're just going to read a couple of verses here. It says, When they found him, they said to him, Everyone is looking for you. Such a mighty move, right? And so everyone in the city is looking for him. Like, that's exciting. Like, everybody wants to be sought out like that, Right? Look at verse 38. It says this. It says, but he said, this is Jesus, to them, let us go into the next towns that I may preach there also because for this purpose I have come forth. And so I'm just, I put myself in Jesus' position. If I was in a place and everybody in the city was coming to hear me preach and everybody was looking for me all the time, I probably wouldn't leave. Hello. I'm just saying, like, I don't know about you, but if you had a bunch of success like that, you'd probably be like, you know, I'm staying here. I think this is a good place to be, right? Like, that's, you know, God is with me. Amen, right? I mean, like like that, like, I, I don't know. Like, that's just how I would think. But it seems like Jesus is a total opposite. He's telling this leprous guy, don't tell anyone about me. Hello right like jesus goes he's he's leaving the crowds to go preach to people that haven't heard the gospel he's doing something completely different because what because jesus knew his purpose his identity led him to knowing the purpose of god and so he was walking in his purpose he understood that and he wasn't because again his identity wasn't in people his identity wasn't in things his identity wasn't in accumulations his identity was in who god was and who he was in god and also what his purpose was he knew what his purpose was. So he pursued that. He walked in that purpose. He sought the the will of God. Everything that he did was to please God and to honor God. That's what he wanted to do. And for us as children of God, it should be the same thing. We should desire to please God. We should know the purpose that God has for us and walk in that purpose. The third thing I'll ask you to repeat after me is say, we must offer what Jesus offered. We must offer what Jesus offered. Look at at chapter 2, verses 5 through 12. Look what it says here. It says, when Jesus saw their faith, He said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven you. And so just to backtrack a moment, I want you to think about this, okay? Think about this building and and think about this room being filled to where people, there's not even standing room in this place. I mean, that's how filled this house was where Jesus was. There wasn't room by the doors, it says. I mean, there were people that were out the doors. I mean, there was no place to enter this room. And then all of a sudden, in the midst of all of that, these four guys, they have their friend who's a paralytic and they decide, well, you know what? There's only one way to get to Jesus and we're going to have to go up on the roof and we're going to have to break through the roof and we're going to have to drop our friend down. So just think about it. We're in here. I'm preaching. All of a sudden, you see drywall start falling. Hello you see someone being lowered down in the midst of this place, right? You'd be like, that's pretty crazy, right? Y'all be like, a terrorist hit us or something. I don't know, you you wouldn't know what's going on. And so the reality is that this is what's going on. And so these guys were desperate. Again, they knew who Jesus was. They brought their friend to him. And because of their faith, Jesus says these words to them. And he goes on, he says, and some of the scribes were were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins but God alone? And so again, we have to offer, what Jesus offers so then he goes on and I'm not going to read the rest he goes on and he tells him he says what's more difficult what's more difficult to tell this guy you know your sins are forgiven or to tell this guy get up and walk which one's harder and his whole point is he's like look I'm going to show you who the son of man is I'm going to show you that I have this authority, and this is something that I'm going to offer. Now, I, say, I, I, I will say this, that, you know, there's a big argument in our day, you know, a big debate in our day about signs and wonders. You know, are they for today? You know, does God move in this way today? And, and, and here's, here's the argument. The argument is, well, if God is still moving like that, then why is it that everyone isn't healed? Right? Like, that's the question. If God, if God wants everyone to be healed, then why isn't everyone healed? And it's funny because I was watching a video and uh, before I was preparing this message, and as I was watching the video, you know, there was a few guys, they were on a panel, and they asked them the question. And so when they asked them the question, you know, they all had, you know, they gave their answers, and they explained, you know, the best way that they could, and one of them said, you know, we just have to grow in the revelation, you know, of who God is, and the understanding of who God is, and, you know, and I liked, you know, what one of the guys said, he said, the one thing you never do is you don't put it on the person, that it's because of their lack of faith, that they can't. Be healed, and I remember um, hearing of a guy by the name. You probably heard this name before, Smith Wigglesworth. He was he was known as the Apostle of Faith, and he had a daughter who was deaf, and I think she was deaf in one ear. And so, you know, back in those days, you know, this is way old, um, you know, years and years ago, and in those days, they didn't have hearing aids. So she had like a horn that she would walk around with so she could actually hear what was being communicated. And she would sit on the platform of her dad's healing ministry, and her dad would literally say this to the crowds, be like, she doesn't have the faith to be healed. It's a loving dad. But anyway, the point was, it wasn't her fault. See, here's, here's my answer to this question. It is this. First and foremost, we understand that God is a healer. Can I get an amen on that? God is a healer. He's the, he, look, he, he heals. He does what he wants to do. But we also have to understand that God's wisdom is way greater than ours. His, his his understanding is greater than ours. And what we do is we come to God. And I told you this before, that there's been a couple of times in my life that I've known, like when I prayed for someone, that I knew that God was going to heal them and God was going to restore them. It's only happened to me a couple of times in my life. And, you know, I've seen God move. But here's the thing that I know, is that the other day, uh, Mia, she posted something on Facebook about someone who went into the hospital for some kind of surgery or whatever, and they couldn't breathe on their own. And so she asked for prayer. And I remember that as soon as, you know, when I, whenever I type, so you can know this, that if, if you ever tell me hey can you pray for this and I tell you praying I mean I'm stopping right then and I'm praying because I may forget later I'm just being completely honest with you and so we know I see the I see the post I type in there praying and I can tell you I sat down and I prayed and I was like father I just pray over this person I remember I don't remember the name now and I pray your hand would be stretched for them and I prayed in faith with all of my heart can I tell you something I didn't feel anything I didn't feel anything But then what I what I what I recognize is that a couple of hours or or the next day or something like that she posted on there praise God you know he's breathing on his own, and I was like Amen why do I say that because faith is not a feeling, and I'm not even telling you that my prayer was was the one because not about my prayer anyway that healed the guy God is the one that does that are you here. We are supposed to be faithful with a message, and the message is the gospel. And is that God offers every person what? He offers every person a forgiveness of sins. And so as I'm getting ready to close this point, I want you to know how important this is. Every man on the planet, when I mean man, I don't mean masculine. I mean every person on the planet needs to understand forgiveness is necessary and forgiveness is available. Did you get that? Forgiveness is necessary and forgiveness is available. Listen, our significance as a church, our relevance as the body of Christ is not tied to signs and wonders. It's not tied to good works. All of those things are great because they should point to Jesus 100%. But our listen, our relevance in our culture is tied to the message of the gospel because it is that message that every man needs to hear. Look, for those people that you, and I'm sure you've had conversations with people that they don't just not just need church but they don't need God because they're not bad people. You ever had that conversation? Listen, the reason why the gospel is so important is because everybody can know they're not good. In God's eyes, they need a savior. They need someone to forgive them. And what Jesus does is he says, listen, I have the power to forgive. I have the ability to forgive. And so for us, when we want to be relevant, listen, relevant doesn't mean you compromise truth. Relevant doesn't mean you compromise um, real worship. Relevant doesn't mean that you have to have all of these different things in order to be relevant in the culture. What it means is that you need to make sure that the message that God has given you doesn't change that the message that you communicate remains constant and consistent with what God says in his word. We want to be significant. We need to bring people what they need. And listen, people need stuff. You know, some of the men, we're going to actually go to Houston at some point and help rebuild over there. And I thank God for Minister Anthony. You know, he started to um, connect that and lead that. And, 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 And I love what he said. He's like, you know, we did this before. And he said, and it's beautiful because not only do we get to clean up, he's like, but we get to pray with people. We get to minister to people. We get to share the gospel in the midst of that need because here's the thing for sure people need a home for sure people need food for sure people need things but above everything that anyone might need they need the gospel they need the truth and so here's my closing question for you and I do apologize that I went over a little bit here but here it is are you living from your identity or are you living for an identity are you living from your identity are you living from the place that you know God, that you know his love for you, that you know your purpose, and that you are able to offer what he has offered you, or are you still trying to figure it out? Are you still trying to find your identity? Are you still trying to figure out who you are? Because here's the beauty of this, is that the gospel frees us from trying to find our identity to knowing our identity. So i stand to our feet and let's pray together. i ask you to bow your heads right where you're at. And if you're in this place and you do not know Jesus, today is the opportunity for you to know him. You can call upon him. You can call upon his name. Cry out to him. Ask him to forgive you for your sins. Ask him to fill you with his spirit. Ask, ask him to give you a new life starting today. And if you do that, I'll be standing out there in the front you can let me know that you've made that prayer and we want to help you to grow in your faith. If you're in this place and you're a Christian but you're not living out of your identity, I want to challenge you. Put your trust in the gospel. Put your trust in what Jesus has done for you. And live your life not trying to figure out who you are but knowing who you are. Get to know your God and you'll know who you are. And if you are in this place and you're like, I do, I'm living from my identity, I'm not trying to seek after it, then I encourage you to be a disciple maker and to help other people know who they are in Christ. Let's pray together. Father God, today we humble ourselves and we ask you this morning for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, God, may they call upon you. May they, may they surrender their lives to you today. May they yield their will to you today and may they come to know you as God, as Savior, as Lord. For those that are in this place that are struggling with their identity, Lord God, who are struggling to know who they are, Lord, may today be the day that they determine no longer to strive after an identity that's false, an identity that is not going to take them into eternity, but may they come to know themselves as loved son or loved daughter. And Lord God, for those of us in this place that are living from our identity, may we be faithful to continue to grow in that and be reminded always of who we are in you and may we help others grow in their faith. We pray this all in Jesus' good name. And everyone said amen. Amen. Come on, give God a hand of praise.